This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. From the home studio, sitting here in London, Ontario, and you know what? I can finally say it's a typical London, Ontario day because of a snow outside it's coming in it's or in the way i like to say green christmas so with that said we know they can make snow so the skiing can happen rum but tobogganing when you were a kid did you guys have anywhere in scarberia out there in east toronto that you could actually go and you know hills that were reasonable yeah i mean absolutely a hill that was longer than 10 feet long Okay, maybe oh. not. Now, I don't know what it was for length, but I know that it was very satisfying as kids. We would roll down the hills. We'd get completely covered in snow. We'd toboggan. We'd um, do just really insane stuff, honestly. I don't even really want to talk about the stuff we would do in oh, on these it was, hills. But it was always fun, right? But, yeah, but very. But was it long enough to long enough, kind of yes. get a decent speed? That's what I'm saying. It's maybe because of our size. Like, we were kids. Yeah. But whatever it was, it was satisfying, and there was always a bunch of us just... And it was in our backyard, by the way. We'd scale this fence to get there. It was technically the backyard of a school, but the hill was yep. nice. Oh, was that was good. always the best ways until somebody, hey, you kids, yeah. get out of there. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. And then you tried to scramble. What kind of uh, toboggan did you guys use? Like, did you have different <laughs> ones? Did you use a... Some people I know use a We'd darn use, piece of cardboard. That's what I was just going to say. Cardboard, somebody's <laughs> coat, some poor kid would have to de- oh, go to dedicate their coat to the cause um, ah. because we never really bought toboggans. Oh, my God. And you just show up and, hey, this would be a good toboggan. Hill. Give me your coat. Okay. Whenever somebody got a new coat the next day, they would have to bring it up. Like, they'd have to wear their old coat because the new coat was being used for toboggan. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah because fun. you'd get so cold until mom found out. Yep. Then you'd get warm when mom chased you. Come back here, give me oh that coat. Oh, gosh, it was awesome. <laughs> well, I talk a little bit about my own experience. I love it. Thank you. That's a great segue to folks. Check out our audio vanity card at the end of the full podcast today. Mm. I, uh, no, sorry, tomorrow. I'm going to talk about it uh, on there. Today, you're, you're Yeah, today has our, nothing our to do with snow. <laughs> no, but that's okay. People can anticipate. They'll check yours out anyway. Mm-hmm. Let's see what we've got today ahead on this program for you as we get into our Wednesday show. Skating at the Riley Family Duck Pond has officially opened for the year. Manitoba community reporter Vic Pereira, he'll give us the details in a bit. Nice. Also, locking in life insurance is one way to protect our uh, loved ones, leave our legacy. We're going to get into this option of life insurance with financial advisor Ryan Bradley Chin. And regional director Trina Casey Maya joins us to discuss new 2024 hiring trends across Canada. We'll get into that later in hour two of the program. So the character of Mickey Mouse is officially in the public domain. You know what that means, ladies and gentlemen. Anyone can access, anyone can do all sorts of fun things. I hesitate saying that because already there is a Mickey Mouse horror movie ready to go. Walt Disney's 1928 animated black-and-white short Steamboat Willie introduced Mickey Mouse to the world, and now that crude early version of the mouse is officially in the public domain. Copyrights in the U.S. expire after 95 years, meaning Tuesday we got the trailer for the low-budget horror film Mickey's Mouse Trap. Gina, turn it out, please, Gina! 
In it, we see a character in a Mickey Mouse mask stalking and attacking victims in an arcade restaurant. Several other non-Disney Mickey Mouse-related projects are apparently in the works. No release date yet for Mickey's Mouse Trap. Disney's the parent company of ABC News. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. So I'm torn, Jason, Rum, because the problem is I'm I'm not a big believer. You take something like this for kids and you turn it into a horror movie. However, <laughs> where else have we seen that done in other adaptations where you kind of, <laughs> it's actually kind of funny. Yeah. Um, so I feel a bit hypocritical. And plus, I'm not a, 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 a Mickey Mouse fan. Never was. Wouldn't Didn't enjoy it a lot. I guess I just hate when I hear... Public domain. And, you know, I used to laugh at the people who like Shakespeare when someone would say, I don't know why they're making a sci-fi version of Macbeth. Oh, come on. Oh, my on. God. Is oh, that a uh, thing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> sci-fi, all sorts of versions of it. I've, okay. I've, you know. But, you know, I would say, oh, come on. Grow up. Let people have some artistic creativity. Sure. So I kind of got to eat my words here with this one. Yeah, but I think you're pointing out something that the creators have to really... Um, understand or empathize with or have room for when they're creating these things because yeah there's a lot of us who are like excuse me the expectations we have for Mickey Mouse is that it's you know rated E or that the kids are watching regardless of this new theme this new kind of darker era right where we, like you said a lot of you know like 101 Dalmatians and Cruella Cruella comes out and we're thinking okay yeah adults are watching obviously but how about the kids mm -hmm. who grew up with 101 Dalmatians right you got to think about this stuff um but I think that it's still going to be kiddish I don't think the horror think so. version of Mickey Mouse well I wouldn't if I was the creator I wouldn't make it like for real dark, like something that would be rated R or even rated PG-13, because... But I, aren't you targeting the older, adults? Well, I mean, like, you got to be honest. Like, the adults, maybe. when this was kids, and most of them are... But are you? is your kid really not going to watch this stuff? Like, as a creator, as a producer, are, yeah. am I thinking there's no way that kids are going to run into this? Because it's Mickey Mouse. They are, for The sure. character but, is for kids. But then again, kids run into Freddy Krueger, too. Yeah, that's fair. It's hard, and again, because you got to be fair about what you say when stuff becomes open like this, and I cannot sit here and I cannot like, tell a lie. you got to please everybody these, almost, yeah. You do, and I mean, sure, you're targeting a certain age group with this. You you really are, um, especially who you allow in to see it or mm -hmm. how much crazy stuff you put in it. Um, but, wow. It, but it now just it's like you, you can't get away with, <sighs> with anything just being for adults because you can find it all over your streaming platforms or eventually it gets released where you could just have access to it. It's not just getting get into, into the, the theaters. We have to get into the conversation of paying for your Netflix or whatever a little more to avoid the advertising. Mm. It's just becoming now such a thing. Is it Disney? Yeah, one of them just now is opening that up too. I might be wrong. It might not be Disney. Anyway, uh, we'll step aside for a couple of moments here, ladies and gentlemen. We'll take two minutes because during our headline segment, producer Jeff Ryman pinch hitting for Grant uh, this week since he is away. He's going to be telling us about 10 useful time management tips according to productivity experts nice. momentarily on the program. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Ramya will be right back. Remember, if you didn't have a chance to see our primetime special that aired on AMI-audio and AMI-tv through the holidays, no problem. Check us out at AMIplus.ca or the AMI app, Foes in Canada. You can 
get it, no problem, and uh, enjoy that special that, that we did, we shared, and we here on the program will be sharing some more experiences from the show and some of the people that were there will give us some of their kind words. I'll look for that in uh, days to, to come here on the program. When we get a spot, we'll, we'll slide some of that in. Ramya Muthan, she's at the Toronto studio hanging out there on main campus. Kelly McDonald here at the home studio, London, Ontario. Let's welcome in to cover off for Grant Hardy. Headlines today, Jeff Ryman. Jeffrey, happy new year. Welcome aboard. Hey, guys. I hope Give you guys... Give me that ad uh, vibe right now with the Jeffrey. <laughs> <laughs> I like Jeffrey. it. I like it though. You like that? I'm a big. I used to watch Fresh Prince all the time, so hey. I I'll welcome that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, how's things going, pal? How was New Year's? It was good. You know, it was a lot different this year. Obviously, with the kid, we didn't go out um, like we normally do. Typically, we'd go to a house party, uh, and on a normal year, um, this year we stayed in, um, put the kid to bed, and then just watched the ball drop with uh, Ryan Seacrest in New York. So nice, a, a pretty, a pretty chill New Year's Eve. And to be honest, I, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I wonder what in a few years you'll want to do. You know, when that kind of will yeah. you want to go back out to? Will there be stuff, family things that you'll you'll yeah. take the little guy to or you know wait till that point where okay babysitter uh, or family member and away we go yeah. back to kind of doing what we used to. i i don't know i i think i'd rather spend it as a family um yes, growing up that. my family always did something together then obviously once i got into high school and stuff i sort of veered off and, and did my own life thing. but mm -hmm. yeah kind of right he wants to spend time with their parents when you're you know 16 years old but um for me, there was a, a great um, event that always took place on New Year's Eve at the local rec center here. And they would have ice skating and then they would do their own sort of ball drop at nine o'clock. Right. And people would be skating around the ice and you'd count down and then confetti would be dropping everywhere. Balloons, you know, the whole shebang. And, and again, it's nine o'clock, so it's not really that late. The kids would go home and the parents would probably go back to a house and maybe have a little bit of a party or whatever it may be. But I sort of envision myself doing that, you know, taking the little guy, um, maybe ice skating or, or something along those lines. Uh, and then again, you know, once he's old enough, he'll probably um, veer off on like what, what everybody else would do, you know, go to a house party or whatever. So that's what I envision myself doing in a mm. couple of years. Also, um, I uh, wonder when it's not going to be Ryan Seacrest anymore at the ball drop. I know. I, well, I know. He's you know pretty what? new to it, though, unless he finds something better to do since he took over from Dick Clark. Mm. You know, he's been really killing it that way for a while. But, yeah, there's got to be But it that feels time. like a retirement job, you know? Yeah, oh, <laughs> for sure. Well, I'll tell you, they stay past retirement. They'll be off and, mm -hmm. hey, let's bring them out of mothballs oh, yeah. yeah. for New Year's. But who's the next um, retiree? So, oh, Jeff, do they do it. a midnight fireworks or anything like that at the same place? I know here in London, down at Victoria Park, they do a kid's fireworks happy new year as if we're bringing the Aww. new year in at 9 p.m uh on new year's that's eve that's quite and early then, not even 10 and, well well no but that's just for the kids i know Those, but that's still the families and they take them home and then at midnight they do a full one for but the 9 other 20, is way 000. too early at least make the kids feel like they're staying up late you know by doing it at 10 nine's like regular right. bedtime oh that's an interesting <laughs> maybe thought. maybe not when how many kids think that old. or when yeah. you're five i think three i think my bedtime was like nine o'clock when i was like 10, okay, that's 12. the problem. See, we didn't have a bedtime, yeah. so yeah, exactly. We, I was, and and I stayed up to midnight. Sure. We, my family, yes. wouldn't go out to something like that. Yeah. There's just too many people, right? Mm -hmm. Like this thing had twenty thousand people at it. So, and, yeah, you know, but, but Toronto, you guys had a lot of problem though. Anyway, there was so many people. Apparently, Union Station was filled right up. 
Yeah, but to Awful. answer your question, Kelza, I don't know if there was a, a New Year's um, fireworks. Um, Afterward, I, there probably was somewhere, but it, it, you know, I know a lot of people just go to the parks and you know light off their own fireworks. Which me as a freeloader, I love. I mean, fireworks are expensive. <laughs> yeah, so right. whenever yeah, I can indulge for free. Yeah. Um, but Kel's rum, this is actually a really good segue in terms of time management. Rum, clearly you mm -hmm. didn't have a bedtime when you were younger, which I think I And purely we ate up five minutes of your time, so yeah. we're not managing your time. I know. Yeah, well. we're not doing well. <laughs> Tell us, this how is, do we improve? This is, yeah, exactly. This is how you can improve. Um, so the article I'll be reading today, you can find on CNN.com. It came out uh, on January 2nd. So this might be under like the resolution type um, article, if you will. But it's 10 useful time management tips according to productivity experts. So uh, I'm not sure if I'll get to all 10 because we've already killed five minutes of time. <laughs> Um, but I'll get to as many as I can. And it's actually really interesting. I find myself as somebody who's somewhat good with time management. I feel like it comes with our job. Like we just have to be on time, um, you know, for the most part. But there's also some things in this article that really had me shaking my head thinking, oh, yeah, you know what? That'd be really good to incorporate into your daily lives. Um, so the number one tip here from the experts is... Um, make yourself a giant list brain dump to help you organize your thoughts um, get everything that is weighing you down out of your brain and onto a master list divide this list in a way that makes it more manageable so perhaps in the categories such as work fitness house kids stuff like that you know obviously there's a personal side to things there could be a workplace side to things however you want to categorize it just have a huge brain dump think about as many things or if there's many things on your brain already just put that onto a list um, and then you can get started with just that so you can sort of envision uh, how your week or how your month or how your year or whatever is is really going to pan out. So just have that huge brain dump, which is pretty simple. Um, I think a lot of people do do that, but it's sort of these next steps that um, in terms of the follow through people may lack. Um, the next tip here, and I think this is key, uh, know your strengths and know your priorities. It, I, I think knowing your priorities is probably the really big one. Um, so a benefit of having that master list of responsibilities is that it allows you to say no to things that aren't important um, right. or to find ways to outsource tasks to others. Um, mm. Go through that master list you created and challenge yourself to remove items that don't have to be done. Um, obviously, often we really get busy, our lives and schedules, um, you know, just become crazy. So um, you know, being able to understand what needs to be done versus what you might want to be done, you know, you, you should be able to differentiate that. Um, so make sure you know your strengths and more importantly, in my opinion, um, know your priorities. Um, another thing on here is um, use a technique called time block. Um, and this is essentially, you know, sort of putting all of that, what we just talked about, into practice in the paper where you just block off time, hence time block, um, to do these tasks. So if you want to go to the gym, block off that time. If you work until four o'clock 
and you want to go to the gym from say 4.30 to 5.30, make sure that you've blocked off that time. This is something that you can obviously plug into your phone. A lot of people use calendars. Mm -hmm. Some people yeah. are old school and use calendars with, you know, they hang on their wall. Um, whatever it may be, whatever it is for you, use whatever's comfortable, but make sure that you're sort of blocking off that time that you need to do the things that you need to do. Um, you know, cause some people just say, oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And the next thing, you know, um, you know, it's almost impossible to fit all three of those things into an hour. Yeah. Um, you got to so, be a little regimented or you end up giving up things, especially if you make exceptions because, Hey, well, all yeah. of us are going down to have coffee at four. Well, I usually go to the gym. I'll come with you guys. Too many ways. Yeah. In, right. So mm -hmm. if you're regimented enough, you don't, you may not, you may be that person who will not make those exceptions. Say, well, guys, I'll stop by after the gym. Right. Yeah. And, and obviously, like I mentioned, I, I sort of blended a couple of those um, 10 items into um, that one last uh, rant I went on here. Um, but another one is, um, like I said, integrate those into your to do's on your calendar. Um, another really key tip here is plan tomorrow plus two. So what that means is plan for tomorrow and then two days after that. So you're almost planning half of your week at a time. And right. that's something that I've done. And I find I do this both in my personal life and my workplace life as much as I can. Uh, it really makes things easier. Um, it makes you able to stay on top of things, makes you um, be able to be a little bit less uh, uh, stressed out, if you will. So, um, yeah, just spend 15 minutes a day. It, it doesn't really take a whole lot of time to plan tomorrow and then sort of get a, a a jump start. You don't have to plan everything two days in advance or three days in advance, but at least have sort of a rough idea. Think, okay, so today's Wednesday, tomorrow I'm going to do this, Friday I want to do this, and then Saturday I kind of want to do that. Um, Are you, you more know, so apt sort of, to stick to it, Jeff? Have you found? Yeah. Oh, I'm, it is I'm helpful. really, I'm really so. good with that, to be honest. I, I've always um, done that since like, <laughs> since I can remember. It, I was funny. never like that. So it was very chaotic because things would come up, you know, and, and there could be little things, right? Like somebody uh, needs some extra help. You have a friend calling you being like, hey, can you, do you have time for this or that? And, and you try to squeeze everything in. I, it is a, a vicious cycle or kind of like a mm -hmm. compounded situation where you end up signing up for way more things than you ought to um, because you didn't actually plan out or it's not even planning, right, Jeffy? I think it's just the headspace of these Plotting, are the things that... I would need to get done sometime yeah. this week. And yeah. so you're just kind of looking be, ahead. And that could be time just to kick around. Do nothing. Yeah. Watch yeah. TV, oh, absolutely. sit outside and enjoy yeah. the air, right? And it gives you this, like, bigger picture of, you know, what days look more like days that you can plan dinner uh, versus days that you're going to be out all day versus, yes. you know, do you get some quality me time in this week? Hopefully you do. If you're like me, you know, you go an entire week without having that. that or a whole Christmas, right? The oh, my Christmas gosh. Yeah. Like yeah. I feel like all these sort of segue into each other. And this next thing I think is really important, might be the most important one, is be realistic about the time it takes to do something. Yep. If you're thinking that you can come home and cook a three-course meal in 15 minutes, chances are you're probably not really good at this time management thing. Um, so, like, be super realistic and almost give yourself extra time. 
for me, I know if I go to the gym, I'm usually there, say, 45 minutes, but I might allocate an hour, maybe even an hour and a half out of my day just to make sure, you know, you have a little bit of leeway because sometimes if you're grocery shopping, for instance, and you catch up with a friend you haven't seen in a while, that could eat into, you know, 15, 20 minutes of your grocery shopping time or whatever. Mm. But try to be super realistic about how long it takes to do something. And I think a lot of people may not actually realize um, how much time it takes. It, it does take to do something. And then also this last one here is use unclaimed time. So again, if you're allocating a little bit extra to something and you have, you know, unclaimed time, essentially, you can use that to either just chill. Maybe you want to catch up on that Netflix show. Maybe you want to go back and listen to Kelly and Remy podcasts, whatever you Shout may want to do. Uh, or if you have something that on your bucket list, um, you know, if you want to fix your door or your window or shovel your driveway or whatever, um, you can, you know, check something off and sort of get a head start on tomorrow or the tomorrow plus two type thing. So, yeah, I mean, this is this list, you know, really had me thinking like, wow, like there are some really good tips on here. Um, so hopefully maybe next time when I come on, we can not spend five minutes off the top of the show talking about. Um, <laughs> well, now, now, now we're, yeah, we're show hosts. We have work to do. <laughs> I have to let Rumya go on those tangents. Rum, go out there and shovel that parking lot. Will you? Right. Um, even <laughs> so if there's I no live snow. in an apartment. No, no, no I'm talking about the one right there at shops at Don Other Mills. people? Anyway. No, no. No, it's just the complex there. Mm -mm. You work there. Make it safe for yourself. Right. <laughs> As you drive in on your driverless vehicle. <laughs> uh, anyway, a whole different subject. Jeffy, thank you, pal, for filling in for Grant today. Yeah, of course. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow on What in the World. And nice. I'll let you know I've gotten a head start on the articles, and some oh, I'm sure. are really funny, so stay tuned. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> he loves doing that segment. Loves coming on here, talking to you. A lot of great stuff. Jeff brought to us today on the headline segment. Grant Hardy usually is our host. He's away this week. Be back next week, and you can catch him for headlines on Mondays and Wednesdays right here on Kelly and Ramya. Up next, folks, there's an accessible art showcase taking place from January 20th to April 13th. Lots of time to get in on this folks it's in Aurelia Ontario we're going to speak with the creator and artist Robin Rennie next she's going to have a lot more for us about this special gallery return with more in a moment Okay, folks, here's the scheduling. We're here weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern. If you're new to our program and finding us, hey, glad to have you with us. That's on AMI-TV across Canada. On AMI-audio, you can find our first airing of the program, 2 p.m. Eastern time, on both audio and TV, a repeat of the program, at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time. Of course, you can always subscribe to the Kelly and Rumya podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio in London, Ontario. Rumya's at the studio in Toronto. Let's talk a little art and art that you can go check out very shortly. There's an accessible art showcase and it's taking place from January 20th to April 13th. This is happening in Aurelia, Ontario. We're very excited to be revisited by creator and artist Robin Rennie, who's going to tell us more about the special gallery because about a year ago, Robin, you came on our show to talk a little bit about uh, the art, like you as an artist and this showcase that at that point was a year away. So very excited to have you back on. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to talk to you again. And we're two weeks away, Robin. So um, 
tell us about this. It's called Seeing Beyond. What is it? Seeing Beyond is an accessible art show. Um, I personally have low vision, and and so after I had my vision loss almost 19 years ago, I had to um, practice differently because I, I can't draw accurately anymore. And once I started to do that and, and, and create again, I, I realized that my lived experience was different when I went to see art shows. I went to um, a show with my daughter uh, at the AGO to see a Joan Mitchell retrospective. And I realized that, you know, even though I could see what was on the wall and they're very large paintings, I couldn't read the titles. I, I didn't have any indication when I look at something two-dimensional, it's very difficult for me to, to figure out what I'm looking at. And even the titles were not large enough for me to, to get a clue from that. So I began to think about my own work differently in terms of how I could make it accessible to other people um, like myself. Yeah, to make it so much more engaging, make people so included. And we all like that. We all want to feel included, by the way. Speaking of inclusion, hello to Murray <laughs> there on your lap as he sits there yep, being nice Murray. and quiet. Your puppy, Murray, hello. Well, he's, now, he's <laughs> yeah, like I was saying before, Jeff's bird in the background was very quiet, but I don't trust Murray to not bark. I got to sit here so Best I can to keep him close. <laughs> yeah, keep <laughs> right. him close at a hand and shh. And, and engage. What's going on here? What are we doing? Um, when we talk about the things that you discovered for your experience and said, hey, you know, this really isn't accessible to me. When you started, and again, we had this conversation with you, so I want to kind of go back review. What are the things that came to mind when you started, I want to put a more accessible art gallery program together? What did that actually mean to you for those who are now going to come out and say, okay, let's see what you did to maybe include me? We know that's a tall order because you can only do so yeah. much to satisfy so many people. Absolutely. It's not a one-size-fits-all for sure. Right. And, and I, I did have a small show in 2019 in Toronto, and I, and I learned a lot from that. And so um, like what I had done was I had included um, a, an, a, an app that we used on a phone called Artcessible. Uh, my son wrote that. And we, um, I found that people who, you know, a lot of people that have vision issues don't have access to smartphones. And so right. that wasn't democratizing it wasn't you know inclusive mm. and 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 the other thing that i did at that show was i made it so that it was accessible to uh, deafblind people and i had the audio descriptions um were uh, printed in braille so there was like a braille um i oh, can't think of the word i'm looking for a document and this time i'm not doing that i'm i've, I've discovered i've because of the, the whole thing with the art accessible i'm trying to um make it more um, inclusive each painting. So there's 27 paintings of various sizes, and each painting has a tactile replica, which was something I had tried in 2019. I had a couple of them, and they were they were very well received. So each painting has a tactile replica next to it with a life size, and then we, um, with a very generous support from the Canada Council for the Arts, we designed and created audio devices. So each audio device will sit. Um, between the two paintings, and there will be indicators on the floor. If someone's completely deaf, they can, um, they'll know that they're standing directly in front of it, and they just have to simply have to reach out and put on the headset and push the big button, and then they can listen to me, uh, like a pre-recording of me describing the work and describing um, and giving my insights into the painting. So, 
and so now this isn't accessible, obviously, to deaf people. Right. But so what we've done is for the art um, talk, because there will be a talk during the um, <clears throat> during the opening reception. Um, we've arranged to have um, ASL interpreters there, so that um, people who are deaf can can you know hear me or know what I'm saying, and also the questions that are asked too. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah it's for sure. It's fantastic because there's no real, in my opinion, there's no real right approach to how you make something like this accessible. It's not that, you know, here's the handbook of instructions of how to make an art gallery accessible for every kind of person who is going to come along for the uh, experience, right, and disability or not. And so you just, you start somewhere and you keep going and every time you um, find Working another progress. way, yeah, to make it more accessible, you do that and uh, you just kind of consider, oh, there he is. Yeah, <laughs> he's not on my lap anymore. Uh, that's why <laughs> you were right. But um, I'm, I'm curious, Robin, like going back to your process with making art, creating mm-hmm. art, uh, and, and you talked a little bit about, you know, when art as you knew it, became inaccessible to you and the kind of adaptation you had to to make to continue being an artist. Can you let us into that a little more? It was really, really difficult. And I experimented a lot. It took a while. I mean, it took took a good 10 years. Wow. And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and the first few pieces that I did, I, I put a body of work together and I, I made a proposal to a, a decent gallery and went there and they completely rejected my work. And so you know, when it's your art, that is your soul. That is your person yes. that's being rejected. And I didn't pick up a paintbrush for two years after that. I figured that I had completely lost it. But that impulse to create just is so strong and it doesn't go away. And so I, I had to revisit it. And I just started to, you know, really open up and let go and become my work is, is more visceral. You know, it's I used to be very tight and controlled and, and I'm a high realist. And I had to let go and just allow my feelings mm. to be yeah. what I, I presented. I, I want to tell you as well, um, going forward with this, what I would really like to see, I mean, I want to learn more from this show about accessibility, what works, what doesn't to go forward. But we have made um, all of our um, um, initiatives are, are, what's the word I'm looking for, Stan? I've lost my husband. Um, They're free. So people, there's a term for it and it's not coming to my mind. Um, And anybody can contact us and ask for the schematics on how to do this. Mm. It's, It's relatively cheap. You know, if you wanted to buy a unit like this for a museum, and museums do have them, they're about $2,500. We can make them for 35 bucks, And right. and so yeah. it's, it's really cost-effective. Every gallery, every museum across Canada should be doing this. And this is what I, I, I mean, it's mandated. I mean, not that specifically, but this is what I'm really hoping to do is to, is to make it so that all kinds of art shows and, and various, um, you know, various displays and, and whatever can be as as accessible to mm-hmm. as many people as possible. And artists too. Like I have a, a really good friend and fellow artist in um, in Aurelia. His name is Peter Fife. He has a show coming up next year at um, at the Aurelia Museum of Art and History. And he approached me and asked me how he could make his own work more accessible. And it it, it made me kind of smile because Peter already oh, yeah. has. He already has things that are, are interactive and, and touch. I mean, touch is huge, you know, yes. for, for in terms of, of, um, of accessibility when you don't see. I mean, you just need to touch it. You need to feel it. And so Peter 
you know, he asked me what he could do more for his show. And, and he and I are actually collaborating on a, um, a workshop on January the 24th at OMA. And um, it's a workshop for people to, you know, to pay and take on how to um, create accessible art. And mostly what I'm doing is, uh, is uh, not teaching them, but leading them on how to, when they're finished their piece, how to describe it. Because right. that is, is something yep. you have to, well, you know, yep. this description is something that's learned. Like it's not, yes. you know, it's, mm. it's, it, you don't get it right the first time kind of thing. So, yep. um, yeah. Yep. And yeah, so many different and, approaches and, well, and, and values. ways that we all take it in as well, right? And, oh, yeah. You know, Robin, I, I'm kind of curious of something here because you know, when we start talking about accessibility, a lot of comes down to with everything. How much time? How much money? You've already talked to the issue of $35 for the unit. What I yeah. wonder, 27 pieces that you've got there, but you've made tactile for each one. Can you yeah. speak to how much extra time when someone hears that and says, what? To make a tactile? How much time is that going to... Can you talk to that, please? Honestly, they were quick. A um, few hours. It, it, because each piece I would start it that way exactly anyway, and yeah. it, only it would all be white. So I would use all the different textures that I wanted to have on there for the most part, um, maybe not the gold flake. And then I would let it dry for a couple of days, and then I would begin to paint on top of it and then embellish or whatever. So the tactile pieces were were easy, you know. Mm. They, um, yeah, they, you know, a few hours each. It's just the drawing time that's that takes the most time, which isn't all that long. So, do you and, have? And, a... and, and again, it it wasn't it was not it was not terribly costly. Right, okay. right, and and like you know, just through this conversation, you're obviously pointing out um, the discrepancies or. Uh, the perceived discrepancies of making art accessible that people might have these uh, challenges or uh, theories, money, money, yeah. money especially, yeah. and work and uh, pre-planning it would take. And you're like, no, it doesn't need to be that complicated. Um, it just got to be in your mind to want to do this. Also, do you have people in your life that you wanted to shout out uh, for helping make this more accessible. You talked about your son, you talked about your husband. You know, people in, especially at the brainstorming phase of making your art accessible. Oh, I couldn't actually do this without my husband. He has probably spent way more hours on this project than I have <laughs> in creating the artwork. You know, he's, um, and, and this is what he's good at, and he is happy to do it, thank goodness. I don't pay him. I do pay my son. Um, <laughs> mm. And I did, get, I did get funding to do that because Michael has to write the code. And, and you know, one of my daughters does my Instagram, and it's a family affair for sure. Oh, and man, they're, you yeah. Know, they're super supportive. Oh. Uh, I think it's wonderful. Robin, very briefly, just tell us a little something about the show itself. Let's encourage people to come on out. Oh. Please. Okay. It's on. Um, it, it starts on January the twentieth. Uh, there's um, there's a pre uh, artist talk for executive members earlier in the morning, and then the opening reception starts at one o'clock until three. There are actually um, three openings that day. The, the, you know, there's three floors to the the museum. My show is on the bottom floor. It's completely accessible, and there will be um, instructions, recorded instructions, at both entrances at the um, like at the uh, the ramp entrance and the front as well so that when people come they can listen to this and they'll know what to expect and what to do it's oh, i've lost my train of thought um yeah it runs till three o'clock and then the 
although they usually run a little bit later and, you know, there's lots of time to chat. Mm-hmm. I'm happy to talk to anybody about, about, you know, anything that they would like to know about this or, or if they want to take this further with their practice, that would be wonderful. Again, you know, I'll be around for that entire week and then the show runs until April 13th. So. Okay. All right. Hoping, if we need, and if we oh, sorry, oh, I'm, go, go I'm ahead. Just gonna say, I'm hoping, I'm hoping to, to take these, these shows, um, forms of this show right across the country. That's certainly my intention so that, you know, as many people as possible who are blind and have low vision have access to art. Yes, and can we sure. find you on social, Robin? Yeah, Absolutely. tell us where. Uh, Robin Rennie Artist and Robin Rennie is on Facebook and um, Robin Rennie Artist Instagram. And my um, my website is um, www. Oh, hang on. Robin's. Robin. <laughs> Hey, I gotta get a card and take a look. We changed the title. Robin Rennie dot Robin Rennie Art dot com. Okay. No, no, sorry. <laughs> Say it again. Here. Robin Rennie dot art. Sorry. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Thank you. We will put it up as well and remind people to go check you out. Uh, Robin, all the best. It's really Thank lovely hang- hanging out and catching up with you again. Good luck. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Thanks. Thank, thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm dying to spread the word to everybody. So. Oh yeah, thanks. absolutely. Yeah, thanks. We're excited for you. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. We thank were you. speaking with Robin Rennie about seeing beyond. This is the accessible showcase that she will be um, featured on. But as well, there's lots of other parts to this conversation. It's taking place from January 20th to April 13th in Orillia, Ontario. So go check it out. Robin Rennie, R-O-B-Y-N. R-E-N-N-I-E on social. Awesome. Yeah, really great. Inspiring and some great ideas there and sound like looking always for more. We will step aside for a couple of moments. Let's talk about tree houses, folks. The world's oldest tree house happens to be found in the UK with a really rich history. Beth Deer is going to be here in a couple of moments and tell us all about it and how you can visit it yourself. We'll talk to her after this. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back to the program, ladies and gentlemen. Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, we are the hosts. And Ram, I have to say it's so nice with the program having so much backup People involved. I mean, we talked about the special earlier, and we had a segment during the special, the primetime special, where Beth and Grant really settled in really well, Mm -hmm. um, brought some entertainment, uh, really interacted with the crowd. And as I'm sitting there while they're doing this, it was just such an amazing feeling because of their experience, just being brought to the table and on showcase. And we've had that with Grant backing up as uh, co-hosting. And Beth filling in now for Billy as he is uh, still away and going to be away for a little bit. Uh, So Beth is taking over the buzz and we're utilizing Beth on roundtables and cut for time, of course, and wherever else. And it's nice to have Beth that experience as we welcome Beth here to the program uh, out in Alberta. Uh, Hope it's feeling good to you. Happy New Year. Hey, Beth. Hey, everyone. Wow, Kelly, you're really pumped up my tires there. Thank you. What well, he's trying to say is no It's a shared rest. pump up. Okay. Yeah, Lots yeah of but I didn't put the wicked or anything else mm-hmm. on there. I didn't mm-hmm. say no rest for the nope, wicked. That's or why I didn't continue stuff. the no, saying no. either. No, no, no I, I love it. Interesting it to use it. Yeah. It's all good. And uh, as much as we hope that Billy is back soon, I'm uh, I'm very happy to step in for him. And I've tried to channel my inner Bill and bring you oh, like yeah? some 
Bill-ish stories. You know how he just comes out, like, finds these stories that are just, like, weird, and it's like, why did you even find that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah or, exactly. or a portion of Billy's um, life. It's just kind of like weird like that way. Just check out the special. I was going to say, go back You'll to the see. special for more of Billy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> always no, I think, yeah, I think my favorite part is the uh, is the bloopers when yep. Romeo asks Bill if he's watched Gilmore Girls. <laughs> uh, me too. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that was my yeah, favorite. Yeah, yeah, I think those are the cheerleaders. <laughs> anyway, folks, go check yeah, it out. Spoiler. You can get right in Billy's oh head, my folks, gosh. right there. And if you're new to the show, yeah. you'll understand totally what we mean. Yeah. Um, but Beth, yeah. New Year's, the break was good for you? <laughs> oh, yeah, so much fun. Um, I know you guys were talking on the show yesterday about the fact Ramia felt very rested, and she wasn't one of those people that was like, oh, I need a, I need a break from my break. Yeah. I am one Sorry of those people. I feel like I need, I, I feel like I, I need a break from my break. You still um, sound tired. But <laughs> <laughs> I still feel tired, but. Um, I, you know, I think that's a combination of pregnancy and having a two-year-old. So, true, true. true. You know. Oh, yeah. I was it's waiting for you to life. say an entertaining, but no, Mm-mm. no, no. It's the child to come and the child currently here. Exactly. <laughs> and, and having to spend all the time with, you know, family as much as I love them. I did not get the luxury of hiding away like Rum did. Um, yeah, I got family time fa- in. Rum has family, One. but she hides from them even in their own uh, home. Yeah, that's actually fair. That's a fair statement. Yeah, that's why she bought her mom a vacuum so that her mom could be entertained and she could. Here, learn, learn this while I go lay down. It's all distractions. <laughs> Leave me alone while you go yeah. check out this stuff. Oh, that's great. Let's What'd get into some stories. Mm-hmm. Um, firstly, we have a bride's jab hell. She says, I vomited constantly and I thought I was going to die after taking skinny jabs that I bought myself online because I wanted to fit into my wedding dress. Vicky Ryan, 38, was determined to squeeze into her wedding dress. The mum of two forked out 45 pounds, which is probably just over or under $80, um, for a month's supply of the GLP-1RA weight loss injection. Oh, God. But within an hour of taking the injection... Vicky was vomiting violently and ended up going to hospital. Um, She was violently sick for over 31 hours. And more than 20 days later, she has stopped vomiting but still feels unwell. And I just thought this was really interesting because it's that time of year again when everyone's like, new year, new me, like people all of a sudden start to try and lose weight and, you know, make drastic changes in their life. And I kind of just wanted this to be a little bit of a PSA to, you know, tell people like, it's not worth this. <laughs> no. You know, like, no. I, and I'm guilty of it too. Like I've, I've done crazy things, especially when I was in my late teens. Like I remember I tried like detox teas and stuff that, you know, I now have yeah. the brains to know that like you really shouldn't be doing things like that to your body. But, you know, nothing's worth it. It's a constant effort too, right, Beth? Like it's not just, you know, oh, I, I tried all this stuff in my teens or, you know, this was a big deal leading up to my wedding, but now I'm good. It's never really like that. Like we're always... Mm, What's the mm-hmm. word? We're always bombarded. Try, yeah, 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 but yeah. we're always bombarded there, by the kind of influences that are out there, yes. right? The the Look drastic, this way. Do this. Exactly, Try that. And the drastic ways that people are doing it. Not just the images anymore on social media of these, you know, really thin models or really, uh, you know, regiment, like people just doing drastic weight loss things, but also the process 
Like how easily can, can we the, access yeah. all the things and and mm -hmm. get names of products and celebrities are doing it, everyday people are doing it. It's all over your TikTok feed. So yeah, there's clearly like too much of that kind of chaos happening for people to just say, hey, that was in my past, I'm way better now. Well, I think also you're dealing with the fact that we always find, it's like the old get rich quick thing. It's yep, yep. lose weight quick yeah, thing. Exactly. It's, oh, this is easy for you. It won't be so painful. Take a shot and you'll lose weight. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. After 20 days of vomiting, you're going to lose weight. But it's terrifying. And, and that's horrible yeah. what it does. And we don't know. Exactly. And they can put their hands up and say, that's one person. That's one person too many getting sick. Exactly. And that's just it. It's like, you know, it, it worked for me, it's going to work for you. No, everyone's different. And quite honestly, I did also fail to mention that in the article, I said that this drug is absolutely illegal and oh like nobody oh. should be able to get their hands on it. Yeah, the um, access. But, you know, like, I, I do feel like the pendulum for a long time had swung very much to that kind of extent yes. of, um, you know, detox teas, these injections, yeah. like very drastic measures of weight loss. But I think it has kind of come back now and is, you know, everyone is, let's try healthy eating, let's try sustainable yes. ways of being healthy. True. Like yeah. that is well, now we realize that There's nothing I wrong see. with them in a lot of cases, right? Look at me, I'm mm -hmm. fine. Well, you know, I don't have to have that kind of body. I mean, most of our reason for doing it obviously should be health related you know the oh, better yeah exactly also the support system like i wish we could mm -hmm. have more conversations with you know brides to be or any other circumstance that you can relate to in similar uh, ways where you know your friends and your family are trying to help you understand that you don't need to go through this you know you don't need to try to squeeze into a size that isn't your size or be present yourself in ways that aren't you for wedding photos like it feels it's so sad to me that we have to go through these things because people feel the pressure of yeah. the wedding day, the party, the image, mm -hmm. the stuff that's out there. Like, it's not even you. Well, it's scary when you think that 100%. they buy the wedding dress. Is it a handed-down wedding dress they want to get into? But it's like the thought in your mind is later when people look at the pictures, oh, look at you, you're big as a house in that thing. Like, yeah. who's, who and why? Would anyone say that, well, even if it was, quote, true, unquote, maybe it's not the most flattering, but you know but what? But it shouldn't That's be a, the discussion. It shouldn't matter. Mm -hmm. That's a, a beautiful bride with her wonderful groom, hope, you know, enjoying their very special day. That's the beautiful yeah. picture. Yeah. 100%. I could not agree with that more. Um, but yeah, so I, this story just kind of really hit home with me a little bit. And we're at that time of year, everyone. Like, let's just... If you want to be healthy, try and do it in a safe way. Right. And yes. just don't put too much pressure on yourselves, everyone. Mm. Life is too short. If you've got a little bit of extra fat, just enjoy it. It's nice sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to say, if you need a little extra <laughs> more, well, I might experience. be able to make a deal with you. It's all right? Comfy. Maybe I'll make a deal. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's for it sure. What, what else? What do you want to talk about next, Beth? So now we have the treehouse story. All right. Um, yeah, Branch Out, a world's oldest tree house is found in the UK with very famous royal guests and you can stay right next door. So I just like, I, when I found the story, I was like, tree houses just take me back to my childhood. And when I started reading about it, I was just like, 
so captivated. Anyway, it's nestled in a lime tree at Pitchford in Shropford. I can't even say it. I used to live there. Shropfordshire. Um, The tree house is thought to be the oldest of its kind in the world, with mentions of it in history dating all the way back to 1692, which that is insane. Um, This tree house has not only stood the test of time, but it is known for hosting royal guests like Queen Victoria. Wow. Also so crazy um it was revamped in 1760 which that just makes me laugh like <laughs> having a renovation <laughs> yeah, on a tree house. um <laughs> and then it was renovated again in the 1980s um oh. because of its age the tree is now held up with metal supports um from my understanding there is um a treehouse barn, I think, that's, like, close to the treehouse, um, where, like, you have a good view of the treehouse, um, and you can pay to stay there. It's got all the amenities except from Wi-Fi. It's two bedrooms. Uh, it has, like, ensuite, super nice place. Apparently, it's very modern. Um, but if you're not wanting to just stay somewhere to, you know, look at a treehouse, um, then you can pay like a 20 pound fee to just go and visit the treehouse. I just thought it was really cool. It's, I love it's, it. Yeah. I love that stuff. Wow. I, I mean, treehouse has lived through time. My goodness. Time. And there was a period of time, you know, like I remember watching as a kid, not much, but this show what was like Swiss Family Robinson. And they were on an island and they built a treehouse to mm-hmm. stay safe. And, mm-hmm. and I remember as a kid how fast, I didn't love the show, but I mean, I love the idea of a treehouse, <laughs> right? A treehouse so, part, yeah. Oh, gosh. And my buddies and I would try to make them. But we're talking like a two bedroom mansion, if you want to call it, right. treehouse back from the 1600s. And you start thinking, well, geez, how common were they? Was this something that lots of people, oh, kids or whatever, were doing? Because, you know, Swiss Family Robinson back in that era, and I mean, obviously I understand on the show what they had to do it for and everything like that, the idea of it for safety. But what were the reasons back then? It, it, the tree houses have stood up the test of time? Yep. And Wild. it's generate like you as a person, you know, when you're a kid, you go through this tree house, it's yours, uh, you get older and it's that piece of nostalgia for you right that sentimental place so and then to think how many people have that to say about this specific treehouse makes me wonder how people left their mark on it well, and adults, yeah, I know adults 100%. that have gotten a house and built a treehouse out there. Oh, yeah. it's for the kids. Then why do you spend so much time in it? That's so nice. <laughs> yeah. well, like my grandparents so sold their, like, family home that they built years and years and years ago, literally, mm. like, within the last two years, they sold it. And obviously living here, I didn't get to, like, visit the house again before it was sold. Right. But my yeah. memories of being a kid being there is, my granddad had built us two tree houses, oh. one in the front garden and one in the back. And oh I was my like, gosh. I am never going to get to take Henley there. And I was Aww. so sad, but tree houses are awesome. This story just... Was it still wow, there, Beth, when they, stole, when they sold it, the tree house? Is... Yeah, it was. It oh was my still gosh. in the back. I don't know... You got to go um, find it again. Yeah, that's really yeah, yeah, yeah. But still yeah, yeah yeah that's the whole thing that's that's yeah. the key beth thanks a lot for filling in we'll talk to you tomorrow sounds good chat to you then
next edition of The Buzz tomorrow. We do it on Wednesday, Thursday, and Fridays right here on the program. In the next hour, Regional Director Trina Casey-Myatt joins us to talk about new 2024 hiring trends across Canada. And locking in life insurance is one way to protect our loved ones and leave our legacy. We get into this option with financial advisor Ryan Chin. Up next, however, folks, skating at the Riley Family Duck Pond is open for the year. Manitoba community reporter Vic Pereira has all the details next. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Hanging out with you through your Wednesday. Got to make sure I remember about it being Wednesday. Already halfway oh, right. through your work week, right? Yeah, I mean, is this does this have anything to do with the battle we had right before the show about what the date for Monday was? Oh, good heavens. <laughs> We're both talking about two different things and saying, no, no, no. It's the 8th. Hey, no, it's it was the 9th. No, it was the 8th. No, it's the 9th. Uh, we got it sorted, though, folks. But yeah. I'm sure most of you we out literally there are used had to, to us count getting into those from battles, today. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a couple of things like that, folks. Check out our Christmas show if you're still not... Um, Done with Christmas. You can find that via the podcast feed from the 22nd of December. We talked to you about the primetime special. Do check that out when you want to or at amiplus.ca and, of course, available on the AMI app and YouTube. So uh, whenever you have time, do check those out. That's Ramya Muthan. She's at the studio in Toronto. Kelly McDonald's. we kick our second hour off, I'm at the home studio, London, Ontario. Okay, let's get to a community report. We do this Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays during the second hour. And today we're checking in with Vic Pereira. He's in Winnipeg, Manitoba. He's going to give us all kinds of uh, things to look forward to and highlight in this area. Vic, Happy New Year. How are you? Happy New Year. I'm fine. Thank you. And you Good. guys? Oh, doing well, doing well. Thank you. And now I'm starting to think, you know, how long are we going to say Happy New Year to people? And that conversation is always interesting this time of year. But... Vic, uh, it's nice to get some of these snowy updates from different parts of the country. So you, tell us about the Snow Maze 2024, and this is in St. Adolphe, uh, Manitoba. Yes, St. Adolphe is just outside the city limits, south of Winnipeg. Mm -hmm. Every autumn they do their corn maze, and a few years ago they decided to, to do it in the winter and put up a snow maze. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so is it so still a corn the... maze? Well, it, it, it will be in the autumn, but now that the, there's no more corn in the fields, they right. turn it into, they build walls where the corn maze is and turn it into a snow maze. A wall of snow? And these snow? walls are about, yeah. Like nice. The, the walls are about three meters tall when you're walking through this maze. And it, it's really cool because we haven't been since they put in the luge run. Uh, last time we were there, there's uh, fire pits in different parts of this maze. And I think they do have some emergency exits in case people get lost or panicked or yeah, because people will get panicked doing that, too, and it is. It makes you weird. I'm kind of curious, though, about is there any tunnels, Vic, do you know? And uh, when you talk to fire, <laughs> you start, you start thinking, tunnels? hold it, guys, you're going <laughs> to you're gonna melt snow. What's going on? Yeah. But it's pretty amazing, right, because I'm, I'm sure they make sure it's watered enough so that the walls are solid enough with a bit of ice but not right. the walking paths. What, what surprised me is how wide the walking paths actually are. Because oh, I'm, I'm walking with Candace and, and with the guide dog on the left side. There's three of us going across. That's a pretty wide load. Yeah. And we're not yeah, even, yeah. we don't touch the walls. Wow. And, and tell us more about these walls. Yeah, like how sturdy are they? Like, can I just, you know, start digging my own well, tunnel? You can't, you can't make a shortcut. No. 
No. No, they're they're because they're packed. Like snow on itself will pack mm. from the weight. Like have mm -hmm. you ever made a Quincy? Yeah. Get enough snow where you are to make Quincies. Yep. So so the the forms are up. So the snow gets in there, then they they add water to freeze it. Right. And in different parts of the maze where it's more open, where they have these fire pits going for people to warm up. That's lovely. Marshmallow. Then you know the heat from that will will cause the walls to frost up even more. Right. Yeah. And then melt later on once they put the fire out. So you have it even thickening and being harder. Uh, how long did it take you guys to go through? Did you get yourselves lost? Were you at any point saying, man, where the heck's one of these emergency exits? Well, we, we go through because they, they put, uh, they have snow sculptures hidden throughout the maze. So they give you a card and half the fun is trying to find all 12 or 15 snow sculptures. So, so you know, as long as you're warm and you dress for it, you, you can be there quite a while. And it's, and there are staff that uh, go through periodically. They'll give you help if you want directions. Say if you need to go out to get a hot dog outside or, or go inside to get a hot chocolate. So there, there's people, because mm. it is quite large. Because as, as I said, they've made the Guinness Book of World Records. I didn't know it was a record or a wow. thing for the world's largest snow maze. That's really awesome. Do you know what kind of snow games they have? They, they, have, they have a little mini toboggan run, and uh -huh. they have the luge, which is new, which we'll, we'll probably try, just because that's who we are. But uh, we haven't seen any skating there, and they do have horse-drawn sleigh rides. But, It'd uh, kind of be cool only... to make the pads uh, ice so you can skate around the maze, no? Part two of the snow maze. Uh, that, that could be fun, because... <laughs> And, and if you don't know how to stop, you know there's going to be a wall nearby. Well, that's it. You at least might hit a reasonably soft-packed wall. I, I think that the problem, obviously, is then how do you get rid of it when you... Let's return it to okay, a maze well, so people can go through. just make a skating path, right? Like it not... Off to the side. Exactly. Since it's yeah. so wide, right? Mm. But I love the fact it's wide because it's accessible, I'd like to think. Like, do you think a person in a wheelchair, Vic, no problem going through there? Uh, it depends on your type of wheelchair. There are some modified wheelchairs we've noticed that have the similar to uh, the uh, uh, fat bike tires. Oh, okay. And, and that usually helps. And if you have somebody pushing you, of course, that's going to help. Right. But but I think a power chair would also be okay because it is quite packed. And yeah. my friends who do use power chairs that don't mind if it's packed snow. Mm. Now, do we that's know amazing. how long this awesome experience is going to last? Is there an end date or is it just as long as there's enough weather-wise well, to keep it going they hope to go to march okay if the weather cooperates yeah it might be longer and if the weather doesn't cooperate it might be sooner so it's okay. very dependent on can you imagine long when it starts melting that's what rumia loves it the most when the wall is only two feet high and she can go along, hey, just how are you? Over. and just shout over to everybody <laughs> where are you the maze. Yeah. step over and rumia just go across the whole thing that's why I'm i was done. really adamant about this tunnel stuff you know like i really want to know if i can dig through this but hey uh, yeah. i'll be a good so sport you subscribe you subscribe to the adage that the shortest line between two points is straight. Exactly. The, yeah, you what don't do know they what's out the, the side. You look funny coming out one wall and, oh, there's a ravine here. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Uh, Vic, that's mm -hmm. awesome. I love that one. Um, your other one goes back to Rumya skating. Skating at the Riley family duck pond. What's this? Yeah, that's in the Cinnaboyne uh, Park. And the mm -hmm. three major parks have, have duck ponds. I don't know why they call them duck ponds because usually you see geese only. I guess geese are right. the bullies. <laughs> they must be the bullies of uh, those types of birds. Yes. So when they when they freeze over, they they turn them into skating rinks. 
and they have warming shelters where you can put on your skates and, and walk down to the pond. And the reason I selected Assiniboine Park is uh, they have the cargo bar right beside it. So if you need a hot chocolate or a soft drink or a not-so-soft drink, that's available too. <laughs> and it's one of the larger duck ponds in the city, so it makes for, for very good skating. And Are you a skater? Yes. Uh, when I lived in Calgary, I used to play on the blind hockey league team. There. Oh, right. Yes. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yes, yes. So for you... Getting out on something like this, what are your kind of heads up? I mean, obviously, we all think about, well, how many other people are out there? I don't want to run anyone over, don't want to collide. How's your comfort out there with this thing? And because it's big, do you feel you have enough freedom, enough space? I actually find it easier to skate outdoors because people's skates make noise. And right. on, the, on the natural ice, it's rougher, so they make more noise. So it's mm -hmm. actually easier for me to, to skate in, independently. And you know, as long as I don't get too close to the edges where there's just snow, but at least it's snow, it's not a, it's not the board. Yeah, you hit that, you somersault into it, you're fine. Yeah. So so it, it does work really well. And of course, you, you don't go racing around because there are children and, and we have to be considerate of them because I'm like a bull in a china shop. And when you're when you're short with a low center of gravity, I, I, I might weeble, but I don't fall down very often. That's the blind hockey player in you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the other advice is uh, when I tell people, just get your skates sharpened. Because you know, if yeah. you have dull skates, it's not a pleasant experience. Mm, yeah. Especially and people natural... don't realize that, how much. And like you say, on a natural ice, it's it's a 100% different thing than, oh, we're in a nice little arena. Yeah, you can get away with a lot uh, on an indoor or a, a artificial made, let alone the way this natural with the with the air bubbles and so on. Sorry, Vic, go on. You were saying? Oh, no. No, that's okay. That's just saying because uh, the, the natural ice is harder than artificial ice. So it's, and it's then you got to put up with the frost, right? The snow or whatever that also freezes on it, that little coating that's there. Great. That's a good one, Vic. Yeah. Uh, and it's some, and the, the river trails haven't opened this year because it's been abnormally warm. You know, like December, we've only had one day where it wasn't above normal temperatures. So, so the only options we have are these duck ponds now for outdoor skating. It's really awesome. um, nice to have these kind of you know, winter activities as they are. Mm. Everybody knows what you can be doing in, around the winter time, right? Skating, skiing, tobogganing, etc. Uh, but then have like these interesting locations and stories around where you would go try these activities. There's just never a shortage of that. No. No, and and winters are shorter if you find fun things to do. Oh my gosh. Yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. It's the only way to keep us through the winter, especially this time around. Like before January, there's a lot going on, it seems, just, you know, communally. But uh, Jan, Feb, March, you really want to try to do whatever you can to get through the winter. So have some fun with the family and friends. Vic, thank you so much. Thank you. We'll talk to you later. Vic Pereira is our community reporter in Winnipeg, Manitoba, giving us some highlights over there that you can check out, especially with that kind of uh, winter activity theme going. And he'll be back next month. Also, our community reports are generally on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays to kick off the second hour. Yeah, I, um, I think it's fun because, I mean, when I was a kid, I loved it because you kept warm. 
It, it, you know, the cold didn't even exist to me when you were skating, when you were out just doing some of the things you were talking about at the top of the show, yep. rolling down a hill, scrapping with your friends, and, and <laughs> hey, I can't get hurt. I'm falling into the snow. Did Yay. I say scrapping? Oh, well, you yeah, got it right. Well, yeah, well, yeah I mean, I, I read kind of between the Scarborough okay. lines. Um, <laughs> wow. You know, it's also just that fun that you'd have. I love your interest in tunnels because it reminded <laughs> me of when we used maze. to dig our way into the, the big mounds of snow that the plows left. There should be the shortcuts. Ones that parents said, don't hide in there. Yeah. You'll end up dead if the plow comes back. And well, of course you don't do that. What I'm thinking is if you're too cold and you still haven't figured out the maze yet uh, and you just want to get out of there, <laughs> probably good to have some shortcuts, no? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Find your way, right? They should way. build them right in there so you just get on your knees and whoop, whoop, right through. <laughs> Look at me. Like slick. Coming up next on the program, ladies and gentlemen, let's talk a little bit about locking in life insurance. It's a great way to protect our loved ones and leave our legacy. We're going to get into this option with financial advisor Ryan Chin right after this. Stand by. We'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. Welcome back to the program, and boy, am I feeling wintry. Might have something to do with January, right? Yeah, a little. Um, it's interesting what you said before the break, Ramya Muth and Kelly McDonald, hosts of the program. You know, you made the comment that there's so much to keep you occupied before Christmas, and in January is that kind of desert of snow, cold, and what do you do? And if you're lucky enough to be a person, whether you're interested in winter sports or just those casual things, even if it's finding that cold place to go and enjoy hot chocolate and stand mm. outside, well, I'm out in the fresh air at least. Um, I got thinking, tobogganing, as we were talking about earlier, skating, that was the big thing. Wherever Skating's I could go awesome. and skate... And again, as, as my vision is where it is now, I'd kind of worry about running people over. But I even liked, when I was really little, and it seemed even better, roller skating in the winter better than the summer. Inside, oh. even. It just seemed like, why are we roller skating inside in the summertime? Shouldn't we be out? It didn't, to me, seem that way. Now, again, a lot of people got the roller blades and things like that in your era. Yep. Uh, so it became more, and, and people, don't get me wrong, people uh, roller skated outside, too, um, you know, when I was a kid. But most of us went to places where we wouldn't destroy our shoe, our roller uh, skates and, and paid that few bucks and went to music and skated around and around with wild lights. I... To me, like not roller skating, but rollerblading felt like just something we did for a couple of summers as a kid, and then we just grew out of it. Whereas skating feels very lifelong. Like Lifetime. winter comes around, yeah. yeah winter comes yeah. around, and you you want to go out there. Uh, you start having kids in the family. You want to take your kids out there. You know, like it just feels like a winter sport on rotation rather than just a phase that I went through. So but it's you interesting learned how to skate you. later. Did uh, rollerblading, your history, rollerblading, or your experience I've, help I was you skating with the... as a kid as well, just not really well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, did, I thought you only learned a few years ago. Mm -mm. Okay. All right. My, very good. Might be this guy of swimming. Our next... Oh. <laughs> did you actually learn that yet? <laughs> I, I can swim haven't. to save my life in a pool. Oh, okay. That's All it. right. So in a panic when you really can jump I up can... on the water and run. Okay. Yeah. Run. Gotcha. Right. Uh, this guy can skate. I know our next guest as we shine a light on finance with Ryan Bradley Chin, certified financial uh, planner at Sun Life Financial. 
Ryan Chin. I'm a certified financial planner. Listen in as I talk money with Kelly and Rumya, where we will explore the world of finance. From navigating RDSP savings to retirement planning, I'll help you design a roadmap for tomorrow. You learned how to skate before W. Ross, didn't you? Uh, um, yeah, of course. But I learned how to swim there too. So, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, kind of went to the Olympics for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But so did you actually skate before WS or only once you went there? I, I, I no, skated I, before, I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I skated before, but, but very, very little before. Cause I came from Barbados. Right. Oh yeah. yeah. Just, just swimming for there, you. Especially outside. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, not not a lot of ice uh, uh, hanging a out in the tropics. Swimmer. Good yeah. grief. Champion swimmer. Uh, pal, uh, we got an interesting topic today, and we've eaten into your time, as Ramya keeps making us do. Can you uh, kick it off here? Oh, did yeah. I lose your ride? Sure. You... Oh, oh, there you go. Yeah, cool. sure. There you go. Um, well, I mean, hey, uh, we, we, we've touched on a few different topics. Um, and, uh, yeah, we thought we'd uh, touch on life insurance. Okay. All right. What would be one of? Is this because we should out? be considering this as a New Year's resolution, right? Oh, oh. There's a thought. Good yeah. timing. Yeah. Why are we it's, doing this in Jan? Well, we do it in Jan because typically, when you know, right around the holiday times, we all get around our family. Everyone starts talking about you know things that they that you know that they want to do. They set their resolutions, but invariably, it always comes down to you know that life expectancy. We're with grandma, grandpa, we're, and then you know, this is our last Christmas together. Oh, you know, and yeah. Fair. We start well, to think about these things, or we try to swim and we get ourselves in panic. Uh, okay. What would be some of the other reasons that someone would want to have it when it comes to, you know, mortgages and stuff like that? Like, how do you make that kind of just paying things off if things go sour? Yeah, no, I mean, so, I mean, life insurance is based on a need. And and that's the bottom line. It's not about want, it's about need. And some of the things that we evaluate when we think about need, why we would need to have some life insurance, maybe it's mortgage protection. Maybe it's an estate planning need. You know, I want to make sure that I leave, you know, $5 million to Kelly McDonald uh, when I pass away. You know, maybe it's the fact that you have a brand new child uh, and you want to have some protection in place for that. Uh, purpose. So need is really what it is, uh, you know, a, a large debt or a liability and or just simple final expenses. Right. Yep. Covering the funeral and such. Right. Okay. Um, I, I do want to ask you like why people would be against the idea of life insurance. But before we get there, let's talk about what life insurance is. Are there different types? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the reality is we've got uh, so some different levels, which like accidental death insurance. Uh, uh, true, the true term is accidental death and dismemberment insurance is one mm -hmm. option. We've got term life insurance, whole life insurance, or what they would call permanent life insurance. And then there's participating permanent life insurance. And in other words, we can call this uh, universal life insurance. Term insurance is, is more of a product for a term need, like you've got a mortgage or you've got a loan, some some kind of debt that has an end date. Term insurance, you know, it's only available for that period of time. 
Whereas whole life insurance or participating permanent life insurance, those are more legacy or long-term needs. Like we don't know, there really is no fixed end date. It will, it will be when it will be, and that's when we want it to pay out. How long are term insurances usually? Can you give us some examples? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, so there are some policies that are like five-year terms, 10-year term, 15, 20, uh, and 30-year terms would be okay. sort of the longest. So, uh, you know, times you've seen insurance advertised, they're telling you on TV, hey, um, okay, hang on. Rai, are you good there? Okay, we got you back there. Right, a lot of time you've seen in, you know, commercials on TV and then yeah, you always hear out, somebody say, okay, okay. Um, you hear people talk about, yeah, but it depends if you qualify. You know, there's usually they get you there and then there's some stunt or whatever and you don't qualify. Can anyone apply and get life insurance? And what should the listeners, what should our listeners need to know about the application process? Yeah, I mean, that's a, right there. Bingo, bango, right? I mean, uh, life insurance is based on three things. It's based on your age, your smoking status, and your health. And, you know, the, the best time to buy life insurance, it's when your youngest age possible. Before you start smoking. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, before and you, before, <laughs> as a matter of fact, before you go to school. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, I'll tell you, the best time to buy life insurance is buy it for your baby. Buy it for your child. Yeah. It's the best time because they got nothing wrong with them and they're, you know, they're, yeah, this uh, is serious. they're, they're not like, smoking and, and yeah. they're young. Um, that is true. Oh, that's a bit of a liability it. there. They are young, you know. They might swallow a button or something. <laughs> Between the ages of four and fourteen. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and I mean, so th those are those are key key things. So with age, I mean, yeah, I mean, Cal, uh, Romeo, you, all of us, we're we're the youngest we're gonna ever be anymore. Okay. Right? Well, yeah, that's encouraging. So, so that, that's where we're at. And, um, you know, fortunately, we're non-smokers, which is a good thing. And and mm -hmm. on our health, well, you know, that's unpredictable. So it Mr. depends on how you feel today. A long today. time ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, so, I mean, really, that's really what it is. And, and, and health reasons can be many many re like there could be many reasons why mm. uh life insurance don't um uh approve based on health reasons it's all because of risk when we think about risk we think about you know who you know what are what are, what is it that we're trying to cover and are there um situations uh you know through your health that could apply an additional risk you know, maybe of diabetes, that's an additional risk. Right. Um, yep. So so you asked a question about, you know, are there other, you know, things that you have to know? There are no medical options. There are life insurance companies out there that will, that will offer you a no medical life insurance policy. But with that comes a little extra premium because there's a reason you're applying for no medical options, which means, you know, there's some health issue. So they're going to charge you a little more. So what kind of questions would they even ask you, right? Like, is there such thing as too personal of a question for life insurance? I feel like these guys want to get into my family history and predisposed health conditions and all of this other stuff. So, Rumi, I'm going to ask you to repeat there. You kind of blended. I was just asking what kind of questions would they ask you during the application and is there such thing as too personal of a question i mean obviously yeah. they want to know what you're predisposed to what runs in your genetics your family history right 
Yeah, absolutely. So, so they're not allowed to legally ask specifically about genetic exposures, but they do ask many questions around like your smoking status. How often do you have a alcoholic beverage? Do you particular uh, participate in any extracurricular, um, you know, pharmaceuticals? Uh, okay. You know, uh, have you ever had a stroke, a heart attack, uh, MS? You know, have you, your mother, father, brother, sister ever been diagnosed with, and there's quite a, you know, cancer, uh, uh, there's quite a list of, of things that they'll ask, because what they're trying to understand is that risk, you know, is, is the risk going to be on the side of the insurance company, and or uh, if it is, then they want to understand what those risks are. Okay. All right. So yeah. when you look at that, it's like there's no real medical options without feeling like they're trying to navigate through or charge you to the hilt anyway on your on your regular premium. Yeah, and let's think about this. I mean, the reason we buy life insurance is we it's a transference of risk. We're we're saying to them, "Hey, for a fee, we want you guys to assume the risk of this particular liability." whatever it is, you know, if it's a million dollar term life insurance policy, because you have a, a loan, a mortgage, or it's a $50,000 permanent policy, because you want to leave a legacy for 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 a young one. You know, it, it doesn't really matter, we're asking them to take on a, a, um, a risk, and you're paying them for the for the for the obligation of that risk. Okay, so Ryan, going back to these options, as you said, um, the different types of insurance, how do we know what's best for us or our future or our family or any of this stuff? Because, you know, if you're saying, there's a lot to weigh in here, right? If you're saying that the it's better to get life insurance when you're young, well, right now we may not have a family, we may not have a mortgage or things in that specific way to consider. Uh, so how do we decide? Yeah, that's it. right there. Bingo. I mean, this is where you really should talk to an advisor, whether it be a financial advisor or a planner, you know, have some consideration because you need to assess those needs. What are those needs? And then what is your plan? Um, you know, when right. working with an advisor with at Sunlight Financial, of course, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and, and, and try to understand what is your current need as well as what are your long-term goals? What are you trying? What, what, what's the purpose of the life insurance? Because I mean, we, if you called me up and said, Hey, I, I want to buy life insurance because my friends told me I should have it. I'm going to say, why do, why do they feel you need to have it? And if you can't competently answer the question or comfortably answer the question, then, then maybe life insurance isn't the right fit. Um, so we really need to understand what that is. Now, how do we know what's the right fit? Well, um, through that conversation, once we establish need, then we determine does the need of this particular, what, what policy fits this need? Uh, for example, if uh, your need falls under a longer term, I want to make sure no matter what happens, whenever it happens, that I leave a little bit of money for Rumia, then that's a longer term need and that's a little more permanent versus, well, if something happens to me in the next five years, I want to make sure some money is left, then that's a little more of a term need. Mm. 
Wow, so much to cover, Ryan. It really is. Yeah. And, and you know, and making those decisions, knowing for ourselves, maybe we pick this up again a little bit down the road, Ryan, and, and push it. We're out of time. Uh, yeah. Thanks, pal. Especially because if needs change and you're already oh, locked sure. in, so to say, wonder if there's any options around yeah. that. Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, we, yeah, let's pick it up next month. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thanks, pal. Uh, Thank you all. And Becky Armstrong on Eyes on Your Money, the AMI original podcast. To reach Ryan directly, of course, you can send an email to ryan.chin at sunlife.com. Up next, folks, when we return on the other side of the break, regional director Trina Casey Myatt joins us to discuss some of the uh, new hiring trends across Canada. Interesting always on these conversations with the folks over there at Robert Half. We'll do that after this. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramya return in a minute. Have a lot of fun here on the program. Weekdays from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-TV. 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. However you're taking us in, listening in, in Canada or around the world on AMI-audio, we really appreciate your time. Kelly McDonald here. I'm in the London, Ontario home studio. Ramya Muthan is over on main campus in Toronto at our studio there. Well, we have these monthly chats with our friends from Robert Half Canada so we can check in on the latest trends and things that are going on in the job market around the country uh, and, of course, get the insights about those things with our guests. So today, the conversation is around um, 2024 and what we got going on here. So despite the economic uncertainty, new research from Robert Half suggests that the job market will remain resilient into 2024. So to talk more about this, we got regional director Trina Casey Myatt for Robert Half joining us. And we're talking about hiring predictions of 2024, the upward and downward trends. Trina, nice to have you on Kelly and Ramia. Thank you for the invitation. So for job seekers, Trina, what is it looking like for these people trying to get into the job market at the start of 2024 as it stands now? Well, the good news is, is it looks exceptionally positive. Um, based on our research, 54% of organizations plan on adding new positions in the first half of 2024, while 40% of organizations feel that they will be filling vacated positions. So um, the great news is there is going to be a great deal of hiring happening in the first half of 2024. Nice, mm. really nice. It's interesting because... We've heard about jobs being available out there, and then we start saying, okay, well, then why is the number kind of creeping up, or, or shall I say the unemployment number getting lower, which we want to see point by point as much as it might be. But when you, you hear this kind of positive and you say, wow, where are the jobs coming from? And I think you hit it there with the vacated, but there's so much else in expansion, and you think, well, is it the time to do that? Um, wh where do you feel this mainly comes from? What what sector um because again you'll hear the argument yeah but that's not the more common jobs where we need people at or where would fill help us out a little more and maybe that number creeps up of employment slower because is this certain sectors are pretty well across the board in your opinion our research didn't focus on sectors per se right. uh, we're mm -hmm. certainly seeing a variety of different sectors hiring um and there seems to be a 
stronger um, comfort in how to move forward in 2024. Whereas in 2023, we certainly saw that companies were being a bit cautious. Um, I think now they're feeling a little more confident in terms of the the land of uh, the lay of the land and and how yeah. to maneuver through. Do you think we're more confident too? I mean, we talked a lot about people reshaping their lives during the pandemic, thinking more, learning stuff online. Is that residual still there or is just the landscape so different? Or is it really, if we look back 10 years ago, that different? Mm, you know, that's an interesting question. I think, you know, the job market ebbs and flows based on what's happening economically, and there's always some changes. I think the important thing for employees to really think about today is what are the skill sets that are being required? What are companies looking for? And do you need to reskill or upgrade or, um, you know, certainly look at maybe something a little bit different to make you a little more employable? Um, I think, you know, certainly technology is a strong point in most positions today. And so are you, are you strong enough from a technology perspective? Are you up to date on the types of technologies that are being required for the future? Because because as we all know, technology isn't going to go away. It's just going to continue uh, to be stronger. Yeah, and even just that phrase of, you know, get to know your technology, that the nuance around that is incredibly, you know, changing all the time, right? We don't know mm -hmm. uh, what that means today may not be what it means next month because there's just a vast amount of change going on with the technology we know. How about for employers? Um, can we talk about what, is going on in the employer side of things? Are people uh, looking for something specific, types of positions? Yeah, you know, certainly we are seeing a, a variety of different types of roles. Um, at a higher demand going into 2024 than maybe we've seen in the past. Um, but more on the soft skills uh, side of things, uh, you know, the ability to problem solve, um, the ability to work through change management, um, the ability to work as a team. Um, we're seeing certainly some teams being a little thinner than what they had been in the past. And so being able to maximize the opportunities that are at hand and find uh, effectiveness in, in your day-to-day -day so that you're able to accomplish maybe a little bit more. Um, not that you have to work harder, but that you maybe have to find a more efficient way to get to the same end result. Great. So somebody hearing this news, we're talking about the availability of more jobs down the way, potential more hiring. What should I do if I'm sitting saying, maybe I want to make a switch or I'm unemployed right now? What are some of the th mm -hmm. tips we can give them for prepping to get ready? Yeah, I think I think the the prepping is exceptionally important and the strategy around how you uh, approach your job search understanding what types of roles you're truly interested in and the skill sets yes. that you have that can transfer through to those types of roles are really important. Um, talk to your network, understand what uh, employers are requiring in those types of positions and make sure you do have, uh, you're up to date and you do have those skill sets. It might mean taking a course or retraining in something, um, but also understanding the market and what the market is is looking for. 
also understand your worth out there. Um, what are those types of positions paying right now? Um, so that you know when you're asking for a certain salary amount, you are in line with what the, the market conditions are. What's your opinion, Trina, on how to do that? How to keep in touch with, uh, you know, your your value in the job market, in the industry, in the kind of positions, or like in, or even just up the ladder of where you are versus where you want to be? Is it pretty easy to keep in touch with all that kind of information and say, yeah, I'm very aware of what I'm bringing in? I think it 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 certainly takes a bit of time and and it does take a bit of a strategy to make sure that you're getting valuable information to make the right decisions. But I think when we're seeing more and more positions um, being posted with the um, allocated salaries, so certainly looking online at the different job posting sites to see what salaries are being posted, um, speaking to recruiters who specialize in uh, positions that you're looking for. For, they will be able to give you very up-to-date information of what they're seeing in the market. And then I think just having good conversations with your um with your network, uh, because they'll be able to tell you what they are seeing. And so when you gather information from all three of those sources, you should have some really good information um, to to know what is the right dollar amount to, to ask for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the resources, I think, is what I'm um, very interested in, you know, like what people use to keep in touch with the job market. Uh, of course, mm -hmm. if you're applying, then there's obviously those specific places. Uh, but mm -hmm. also, you know, on a broader level, how are we keeping in touch with just what's going around, going on around us? And this can be something at a very small scale as well, right? Like maybe you are already employed, maybe you're not actively looking for a job, but just to keep in touch with the industry and what's going on. Yes. Yes. And there's also salary guides. Robert Half produces a salary guide on an annual basis um, that indicates what the corresponding salaries are for the different types of roles in which we recruit for. Um, there's other organizations out there that do something similar. So there are definitely resources out there mm. that if you if you search, you you certainly will find. Yeah. Do you see any uh, drastic changes afoot? for this year compared to last year on any level um, in any way with the with just work and with employment in Canada? Um, do I see drastic changes? I'm not sure I, I would say that we see drastic changes. I think there will be uh, continue to be challenges with the balance of uh, hybrid in office, right. remote. Um, I think organizations are still finding that they're, they're having challenges finding the right balance for the organization and for the individual. Um, 89% of, of uh, managers in the surveys uh, cited that they were challenged with finding the right skill sets. Um, so I think it's we're going to continue to see a strong demand in certain areas. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's as the year goes on, depending on economically how things really um, pan out for Canada, what interest rates look like, will determine how companies move uh, throughout the year and if they will continue their hiring and adding to their team. Um, so those are some of the things that I, I think we'll continue to see where there will be some challenges and, and organizations will need to address. 
I think the other thing that we're seeing is we're still hearing uh, about a significant amount of burnout and employees yes. feeling that yeah, burnout. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, again, I think employers are trying to figure out what is that balance between um, making sure that they are being fiscally responsible and having the right headcount. That certainly changed throughout the pandemic, um, and, and companies are really struggling to find that balance. So with that, managers themselves, what are some of the things they're citing? Is there a concern, you know, with finding those balances, but also quality of candidates or shortage or uh, a glut of it? Are, are these some of the things they have on their radar as concerns? Mm -hmm. Certainly finding the the required skill sets that they're looking for. And some of it is because, you know, there's there's different skill sets that are maybe being mm -hmm. required today than than there has been in the past. Um, and certainly retention is on their mind. Uh, I think it was 90 percent of individuals or managers felt that that uh, was something that was really important for them to focus on this year. Um, obviously, with the amount of hiring that will be going on, um, you know, there may be some temptation for people to look outside the organization uh, to get what they're looking for. Uh, so it is going to be really critical for companies to be able to retain the talent that they have because it's going to be difficult to find what they're looking for. Right? Wow, kind of exciting, though, when you think about people getting the ideas, people saying, you know, I think I will take a peek outside what I'm doing here or I'll investigate and, and whether we get a, a run on of a lot of people wanting just to get interviews and and show up I, I think for some places we're going to hear managers businesses say it's been phenomenal it's overwhelming and others still feel yeah I'm getting people but not not what I want not what I need and I, I find and I'm sure managers that you speak to or, or companies say it, it you know, with that on the doorstep, with that starting to happen, it's either interesting or a nightmare. Absolutely. And one of the things that we, um, we suggest that organizations do is is be flexible. Um, if you hire the right employee, the right long-term individual with the, the right uh, connection to your culture, you can train most individuals. And so if you are struggling to find the right skill set, then then be a little more open-minded to the skill set that you do bring in. Um, obviously, there's there's a minimum that you do require, but be very open to bringing in someone with the right attitude, the right aptitude, um, and that you can train and hopefully have a, a longer-term employee. Mm, I wonder if companies are scared of that a little bit because we yeah. always go back to how much it costs to take that time to train someone. But yet, and also changes. Because really, well, yeah, but it's a good opportunity to kind of groom people, especially with the changes you're talking in industry. It certainly is a great opportunity um, to groom individuals. And if you can bring someone in and provide them with that growth opportunity, um, they're probably going to stay with you a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. uh, there may be a little more loyalty there. And certainly if you understand their long-term goals and you continue to identify that growth path for them uh, in your organization. So, you know, I think if, <laughs> if, if what you're looking for isn't available, you need to have that flexibility um, because the option, you're right, the yeah, option may be it. you get nothing. Um, mm -hmm. So do you want an individual with, you know, all of the qualities that you're looking for, just maybe not all of the skill sets, or are you 
open to um, bringing in, uh, waiting for that person that maybe doesn't exist. Right, exactly. And, you know, it goes back to some of the things you had already pointed out in conversation, which is that flexibility, that understanding that things are shifting quite significantly in terms of hybrid or um, other forms of flexibility for work and what people's expectations are. And, you know, we're seeing trends of people just wanting to take more freelance work, wanting to have uh, contract options and really just prioritizing work-life balance and all these other things because we can tell that it's not what it used to be. That right. strict nine to five, that strict, you know, this is what my employer needs of me, that, uh, you know, 50-year career or whatever is not at all what we're seeing trended forward. Mm -hmm. You know, we are finding that most often when people are, are approaching us looking for a new opportunity, it is because they're not getting the level of flexibility that they're yes. looking for. Salary isn't their number one um, driver to look for a new opportunity. And, you know, I think um, the pandemic showed that work can be done in different ways. And employees are wanting to continue to have some of that flexibility to be able to manage their work-life balance, mm -hmm. um, whether they have, you know, um, requirements outside of the the workplace with children or with aging parents. And we're certainly seeing a lot more of that where people are are. are their demands are much more than what we have seen in the past. And so needing that flexibility is is absolutely critical for some individuals. And, and some and again, businesses seeing that productivity, that 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 things are better because, hey, man, this person's happier or we're getting more out of that, more productivity. Yes. And, and the, the, you know, the nine to five has certainly changed and, and window working where maybe there's a break in the middle of the day because there's appointments or whatever it might be. And then it's logging on again, you know, maybe in the evening to finish your day. Um, so we are certainly seeing some different working uh, patterns that I think will continue. Trina, this has been a, a really insightful conversation. Of course, we look forward to all our conversations with um, you and our friends from Robert Half in general. So thank you for your time and thank you for all the information. Thank you. We'll talk to you soon. We were speaking with Tr Regional uh, Director for Robert Half, Trina Casey-Myatt, and she was joining us to discuss the new 2024 trends for hiring across Canada. And we look forward to these convos uh, at least once a month with Robert Half. Fantastic industry observations, right? It's what a thing to watch right yeah. now to see how this flushes out. We step aside. We'll tell you a little bit about well, rum you will. What's coming up tomorrow over there on Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV? We'll preview our show, and we've got a closing moment for you, cat people, especially ones who seem to think your cat should take a shower. Yeah, think on that one. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. Remember the, the vanity card, folks, on the end of the full Kelly and Ramya podcast. Check it out by subscribing using your favorite podcast platform. While you're in there, if you don't mind, give us a rating and review. Another program. 
among many here on this uh, AMI-TV, AMI-audio uh, networks here. You can go and check out via podcast, too, is one of the other ones, Now with Dave Brown. They've got their program on at 9 a.m. in the morning, daily, Monday through Friday, like ours in the afternoon. And they're available via podcast. Subscribe. Rum, give them an idea what's coming up on their program tomorrow, if you would. Okie dokie, we have journalist Michelle McQuig, who is going to be offering her predictions on what could be the biggest news stories of 2024. I mean, mm. who else would you ask what other than prediction. Michelle? Yeah. What a prediction, she though, right? Know. Because in a year, yeah. you look back and say, whoa, whoa, did I have any of that? Right? Know. You know, like, it's so amazing what comes out of nowhere. It's a fun follow-up for the end of the year as well, as you say. Mm -hmm. Uh, also, Marco Flalo offer a preview of the upcoming uh, Consumer Electronics Showcase in Las Vegas, CES, and we look forward to the hype and build-up to this uh, event also, so looking forward to that with the tech guys. And entertainment critic Michael McNeely is reviewing the TV series Reservation Dogs. No idea what that's about, so looking forward to his conversation about it. Awesome. Very cool stuff. Again, 9 a.m. in the morning. Uh, now with Dave Brown, uh, folks who enjoy the program, check it out. And again, look for the repeats or certainly find it as a podcast. So one of the closing moment items that I came across that was sent to me, thank you kindly. Uh, well, Willem, this 10-year-old cat, found a new life on, a new lease on life, excuse me, when Dominique rescued him from a shelter. He was completely pushed away in a corner when she saw him. The other cats were very dominant. Dominique said he didn't even dare to go to the litter box and was completely covered in... He didn't wash himself either. When she brought him home, Willem's new owner wanted to wash him after that time in the shelter, but was worried about causing him too much stress. The poor cat couldn't resist this became a habit at 5.30 in the morning, <laughs> wanting to get in the shower. Get out. Well, this is uh, all put on a video. You can find it on, as Rumya mentioned earlier, everyone's favorite, TikTok, uh, where William, uh, Willem completely embraces the shower experience. He uh, likes to take a shower every day, she says, but she tries not to allow it every day because it's not good for his skin, hard on the oils. Yep. But she says... She can't always resist him. I think you can probably relate to that. Oh, and also it doesn't hurt that uh, he screams. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, waking everybody up at 5.30 in the morning like a rooster. <laughs> um, how do we know that he's crying to go, I mean, meowing, to go shower, though? Um, he's just hungry. I think it's his way of just getting into the shower. He gets in there. Oh, he gets and in I think and that's starts how screaming first, from Because there. he climbed right in, and I think he goes into the bathroom. <laughs> You know, like yes, that kind of thing yes. to say, put me in the shower, turn the water on. He's probably actually in there screaming. I think there, hey, so. So Dave and on. Debbie, my neighbors slash friends slash the people who used to come on to do accessible gaming on the show, uh, their cat Jackson, their theory is he also goes into the shower and meows for, you know, minutes on end. But their theory is that he likes to hear himself with the acoustics in of there. the washroom. Yeah. Yes. He's now, also, do they leave the like, tap on? Because maybe he's drinking. Like, maybe he just likes some of that water. <laughs> no. If they leave it on just a touch. No, but he I've doesn't mind the water that, either, though. by the way. Like, he doesn't no. mind the shower. But they don't think it's as much about the shower as it is about the acoustics. Wow. Oh, he's a singing wannabe. Yeah. Hey, maybe an opera singer. It sounds pretty you good, too. like that. Mm -hmm. Also note, folks, while William is, Willem is more happiest, most happiest in the shower, uh, bathing cats is not necessary. Cats are fastidious groomers and can typically keep themselves clean yeah, without good. any help. And most of them actually have a hatred of water. So. <laughs> yeah. What do we got coming up tomorrow on this year program, folks? Well, 
Apple has included a simple app to help us keep on top of our mental game. Michael Fair, he's here to tell us all about the new journaling app introduced in iOS 17. I'm so looking forward to that. Yep. Oh, yeah. Also, Governor General Mary Simon recently announced 78 new appointees to the Order of Canada. Laura Bain is going to tell us more about that story. Fedora's off to you, ladies and gentlemen. Have a wonderful night. We're back here, 2 p.m. Eastern. Take care of yourself. I love that now, because of social media sharing and because the internet is so wide, you can practically find 50 versions or covers or renditions of a musical piece just anytime, anywhere. Uh, there's always someone covering not just the acoustic version of a song, but also like the female perspective of something that was sung about or in the context of a male. You can also find duets and you can also find live choirs doing the thing and people recording themselves in their home and parodies and just then you got responses. So people uh, duetting somebody else's performance or using other people's interesting covers to dissect vocal techniques or musical techniques. Oh man, it just is never ending. And I really love getting into the rabbit hole of music online because it's fascinating. But then, you know, there's always the frustrating part as well. The other day, the other day I found a song that was just fabulous, a new artist, an indie artist, if you will, uh, that I had never heard before. And I was scrolling on TikTok, found this track, and I was like, oh my God, yes, I want it. Where do I find this? And I went searching and hunting. I went through all the 50 or 60 uh, message uh, comments on the post. And Bottom line was it was an unreleased track and you can't find it anywhere. So there's that delayed gratification piece as well where you're like, damn, I need this track, but they're just teasing. They're just putting it out there promoting and we got to wait till the actual release. So there's that aspect of it as well where, you know, you can't just always get it either. And that is not the greatest feeling because you're so used to getting it all the time. But either way, push comes to shove. There's so much music out there to enjoy and so much music out there to discover. Join me every couple weeks for the Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther podcast, where we learn about outdoor tech and tips. Plus, we look at news affecting the environment. AMI's Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther is available from your favorite podcast provider.